0: Got it now. I invite you to find your seats again. Along with with Emmett and Ian and Levi, we also want to congratulate Faith Pittman and Bella Reagan on their graduation this year. Yay, Yay, yes. (laughs) I just mentioned, uh, along with uh, Emmett and Ian and Levi, we want to congratulate Faith Pittman and Bella Reagan on their graduation this year as well. So, yeah, proud of you guys. Uh, So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we come back to Hebrews 11. Father, we, um, reading over the whole of your scriptures, we're really uh, knowing of your power, knowing of who you declare yourself to be, who you show yourself to be, uh, in that uh, fly on a wall uh, position that we get to see your power throughout the scriptures. It's really not all that amazing that you would tear down the walls of the city of Jericho. Uh, Father, especially for those of us who know you as our Savior, we have experienced you tear down the walls of blindness, the walls of spiritual death, and bring us to life. Uh, Some of us, may have uh, lived one day as your enemy and the next day knowing that we desperately needed you as our friend and Savior. Lord, as we turn here to uh, the story of Rahab that we're reminded of in in Hebrews 11, Father, uh, we see uh, a person who was providing for themselves by any means necessary. But realized that what they needed was you. Bowed their knee to the truth that they saw before them. Lord, it may be that uh, some of the, the words I share this morning may may make people feel who, who have a past that they're ashamed of. As, as I myself do and so many others do as well. It may be an opportunity, Lord, for the enemy to to beat on a, up on us again. Pray, Lord God, that you would uh, take away that that power. Pray Father that the the power of a transformed life, the power of your grace, would o- overshadow any memories that people have of the past. That, Father, we would be able to see ourselves as new creatures, new creations, just as Rahab became. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would fill this place with your presence, that you would minister to our hearts through your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of us have asked a friend or a family member how in the world they managed to do something. Maybe, how did you manage to to work and travel and go to school and do all those other things? How did you manage to get that sofa up that stairway? (laughs) You got to pivot, that's right. How did you manage to keep those cut flowers living so long? How did you manage to make that dessert so delicious? We're expecting to hear them answer with their process, their means is the word, by which they they did this. Or or to hear them to say, you know, it it wasn't easy. I think I just got lucky. I don't know how I did it." it. What we're not expecting to hear them say is by faith I did it. Maybe with faith. Maybe it took faith But but as far as a means by which they accomplished it, we're not expecting them to say, I did it by faith. It's like saying, by my imagination, right? Yet this is what we hear over and over again in Hebrews 11. As we looked at last week, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. After they had been encircled for seven days. And the readers of this letter to the Hebrews. They needed to be reminded over and over again. As they thought or looked at the walls of Jerusalem. That that significantly they had been cast out from. Or cast out from the temple. Or cast out from their families and friends. Other ethnic Jews because they were following Christ. They needed to hear That the Old Testament saints, the saints of old, they aligned themselves with God in the same way that these New Testament believers who had trusted with Christ had done so. By faith. By faith. And obviously by faith means something different to us as followers of Christ. This is because we have faith in the person that he, God, can accomplish what he claims. That he can accomplish. And this is different than the, the Oprah theology or the Joel Olstein theology of just visualizing something into existence. That is not what we are talking about here. As we've seen, by faith, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Joshua, they all believed that God would do as he said he would do. And so they stepped out. They, they did their part, if you will. Not by works, but by faith. Which means God did it. And his people simply trusted him to do what he promised he would do. So this morning we're, we're backing up to before Jericho fell. We're moving one verse further in Hebrews 11. I promise next week we'll kind of fast forward a little bit. But we're moving one verse forward in, in Hebrews 11. But but as far as the timeline of how it took place in the Old Testament, it's actually backing up to before Jericho fell, before Israel crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. Joshua, the leader of Israel at this time, had been assured by the Lord that God would give them the land, that he would give it into his hand and into Israel's hand. He told, uh, he's told to only be courageous and be obedient. And so on the other side of the Jordan, before they, they God uh, dammed up the Jordan for them miraculously and they walked across it into the promised land, Joshua starts spying out the land. And so we see in Joshua 2... Verse 1, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Rahab's house is most likely an inn or a motel, if you will. It's kind of like the saloon in the show Gunsmoke right? So Rahab was kind of like Miss Kitty. I, I'm sorry to ruin your childhood memories of the show Guns, but, but that's the case. She's not the quote-unquote more respectable prostitute of the temple, which would have been involved in, in the uh, idol worship, the idolatry in the land of Canaan. She's a run-of-the-mill businesswoman selling what shouldn't be for sale. This morning we learned from a prostitute turned into a follower of God about the alignment of faith, the alignment of faith that must happen. This is a different kind of alignment than maybe the alignment that we're used to in our older age going to a chiropractor and getting our spines aligned or maybe the type of alignment that we're used to as children of getting our spines aligned from the bottom up, or maybe from the top down, getting a flap to the back of the head, getting an alignment of our attitude. This morning we're talking about an alignment of faith. It's an alignment that changes a person's life Because it brings them into relationship with God and it brings their life into full alignment with his purposes for their life, with his purposes for the world, the kingdom of God. It's an alignment of a person to the will and the work of God and it comes by faith. So we'll read in Hebrews 11 verse 31. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is referring back to that Joshua 2 description of how these spies were sent out by Joshua to spy out the land as we read about. And they happened to come into the home, the the inn of Rahab, the prostitute. How does Rahab go from being a prostitute in a city that was destined for destruction to being listed here in Hebrews 11 as one of the heroes of faith. As one sermon title that I happened to see about Rahab, it was titled, From House of Shame to Hall of Fame. How did this happen for Rahab? How did she go from being Rahab the prostitute to being only one of four women listed in the genealogy of Christ? In the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. I mean she's honored as listed not only in the genealogy of Christ. But she becomes a great grandmother of King David. And therefore an ancestor of Jesus. And his earthly father. She does so first by aligning herself with God by faith. And Rahab did As Rahab did, I want to challenge you here this morning. Align yourself with the king of kings. Just as we talked about last week that it says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell. Here, by faith assumes a faith in God. Faith is useless if it's not in one who is worthy of it. It's the object of one's faith that matters Rahab's decision was an act of faith aligning herself with God as we can also read in Joshua 2 I have it here Uh, Joshua 2 verses 2 through 3 it was told to the king of Jericho behold men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land so somebody was aware maybe in their network of spies or, or they saw men of Israel come to uh, search out the land. And then it says, then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, "Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land." So, it was seen, or it was told, something uh, that got all the way to the king of Jericho, who it would have been. Um, uh, Canaan would have been kind of divided up into tribal states, if you will or or serfdoms, the kind of thing where there would have been a major walled city that is kind of a capital of that region, and people that farmed or lived in villages around that huge walled city would be aligned with they would be uh allegiant to that king as israel uh uh, formed across the Jordan, and the the Canaanites, and specifically Jericho, are sitting there hoping maybe this physical barrier of the Jordan is going to keep them over there. I'll, I'll I'll explain. They were hoping that maybe their God will only work over there. The 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 people of the region around Jericho would have been filling the city for protection. Actually, this is how it would have worked. So ruling over Jericho and therefore ruling over the surrounding land would have been the king of Jericho. So we read forward in Joshua 2. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know that where they were from. And when, the gate was, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where they went. the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax when she had lay, that she had laid in, in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. There's no statement here about Rahab's deception. We're told that uh, by faith she hid the spies. There's nothing said here about it's so good that she lied to the king's men or anything. So we don't have a statement here about whether this was right or wrong or whatnot. But we see in verse 7 of Joshua 2, And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers, these men that were looking for the two spies, had gone out. This detail given to us that the gate was shut uh, informs us that our two spies sent by Joshua on behalf of God's people Israel were locked in to the city at this point. Not only had they been dependent on Rahab to hide them, they were now dependent on Rahab to get them out. They were confined to the city, confined to her house. So we continue on in verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Meaning they're, they're just the, as they battled on their way to the Jordan, no, one, no nation was able to stand up to them. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, or if you want to call them the OG, um, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God of the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So it's not here that just Rahab is a rebel at heart. Who wants it just to stick it to the police. It's an amazing. What we see here in Joshua 2 is an amazing confession of a Canaanite woman of the Old Testament. I love what Liz Curtis Higgs says here. Rahab the harlot, the Canaanite, the worshiper of Baal a whore and whore had, become, had come to her senses. God is God. She'd seen the power of Jehovah, God at work, accepted the reality of his existence and confessed with her mouth to these witnesses that the only that the one they called God was God, the almighty God." End quote. Her words also show how stories had been told of God and how he defeated the Egyptians by demoralizing their idolatry in the ten plagues and how he delivered them by parting the Red Sea and drowning Pharaoh and his, his military in, in place. And remember, this was 40 years earlier. The stories continued to spread. The, the Canaanite people shook in their boots from that time forward of this people of Israel. Israel. I want to explain a little bit about animistic deities here. And we see evidence of this in the scriptures. But the way animistic deities, which Baal would have been one of these. And animism is the default religion of fallen mankind. Okay? It's the baseline. It's it's a, there are kind of big gods that are considered to take care of your your eternal needs but then how you deal with your day-to-day needs are by dealing with little gods or spirits okay i mentioned that that i've mentioned before too that god was demonstrating his power over the gods of egypt for instance they had a god of the nile they worshiped the nile they needed something from the nile therefore they worshiped it and they set up in their mind an idolatrous relationship with the Nile and the spirit of the Nile. They needed the Nile to overflow its banks every year so that they would have fertile ground. So they worshipped the Nile. What did God do? He turned the Nile to blood. And he had done that from that point forward to Egypt and throughout. And another thing about animistic deities is they're usually considered to be geographically stationary. One um, prophet, an idolatrous prophet that a king was was uh, ca- taking counsel with Who was trying to defeat Israel And, and uh, his, his army was defeated By Israel and the, came, the king Came back to the prophet and says how do I defeat this People and he said well their god must be the God of that mountain where the Battle took place under draw them Out into the plain and you'll be Able to defeat them there and it Blew their minds that Israel Was just as powerful that their God could empower them over In the plain Just as much as next to the mountain. It's going to blow their minds even more when they cross the Jordan River. It's like, oh crud. This God works anywhere. (coughs) So this is very much in the mind of Rahab. And this is why she makes the statement. The Lord your God. He is the God of the heavens. Above and on the earth beneath. You've heard of people worshipping the sun. Worshipping the moon. Worshipping the stars. God is the God of the whole earth, the whole universe. All of this other stuff is just stories that man makes up. Stories by which Satan gets his own worship. This, is made, this point is made in Isaiah 54 verse five, 5. When God says, the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth, he is called. So continuing on in Joshua 2, Rahab makes a deal with God's enemies. In verse 12, now then please swear to me, she says, by the Lord that I have dealt, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours and when the Lord gives us the land we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So she continued on in her in her allegiance to the King of Kings by keeping her mouth quiet as these spies were dependent on her for this. And we'll continue on in that but <clears throat> you ever heard of um, I don't gamble I don't think you should either. But there's a term in gambling going all in. Okay, it, it, it means to, to put all your money in on a bet. All your money in on a hand of cards that you have. It's what a person does if they think they have a sure bet or if they're bluffing. But it's the dumbest thing a person can do if they're not sure of the situation. To put all their money in on that hand. They could be left With nothing. It's the smartest thing to do though. It's the smartest thing that they can do. That you can do. If you're certain you have a winning hand. And it's not a gamble. It's what you do when you have the opportunity to align yourself. With the king of all kings. The God of the heavens above. And the earth beneath You go all in. You don't leave anything on the table because you know it's a sure bet. It is not a gamble. And when you align yourself with the king of kings, you align your actions with your beliefs. We see that the reason for Rahab being saved, the means was by faith. The reason is because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. We're jumping to what is given as the reason here. And along with her faith in Jehovah God, being the God of the heavens above and the God of the earth beneath, she acted on her belief. I mentioned that Rahab was the spy's only hope of escape. We see in verse 15 of Joshua 2, Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall and she said to them go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there 3 days until the pursuers have returned then afterward you may go your way now so note that for 3 days Rahab was still committed to this plan over those three days, she could have gone to the king of Jericho or his representatives and said, okay, listen, I've second thought this. They did come. They're hiding in the hills. You can find them there. No, instead, for three days, she was trying to convince her mother and father and, and their other children that if they, and, and we'll, we'll see, they had to make that step of faith too. They had to come into her home. She was trying, but she spent that time gathering others to the salvation that she had found. I want to just show you here a picture. We looked at this last week. Uh, the picture on the left is the archaeological digs today of the city of Jericho. Um, the picture on the right is a rendering from the notes and, and sketches from the original archaeological digs in the 1950s and the one that followed up in, the ni- in 1997. And as we talked about last week, uh, Jericho was a double wall city that was built on a huge mound. There's a retaining wall at the base of the mound and the first wall rested on top of the retaining wall. And the archaeological archaeological digs showed that they would find the retaining wall stone and they found the mud bricks of the wall above it collapsed down on top of it making a ramp into the city at several points all the way around the city. And this uh, picture to the right is a updated um, of that, those sketches that were made even as far back as the dig in 1950. You can see here how it was a two-tiered city. Okay, So if you were better off, if you were higher class, guess what? You got to live behind two walls. But what they found evidence was was the, the buildings that were in the houses that were built in that lower section behind just the first wall, that was kind of the slums of Jericho. This is where Rahab lived. And even more so, if you didn't have a whole lot of money, you might need to just build your house with that, the wall of the city as the outer wall, the first wall of your house, and build the rest around that to the point where you could actually have a window of the out, uh, from, and see through that. And it wasn't like, hey, great, you know, I got a window office. This was a, the low of the low class. I mean, you were the first one in jeopardy of arrows coming through your windows and stuff like that. And so even archaeology showed houses built into that first wall. Uh, this was the, the service employees, if you will, of the rest of the city. Align your actions with your beliefs, as Rahab did. The spies basically tell Rahab here, it's not good enough for you to say you believe this. you got to live it. And your relatives, if they want to be saved too, they got to live it. So it says in verse 17 of Joshua 2, The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, When we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is within your house, his blood shall be on our head. In other words, it's going to be our job to make sure nobody harms you. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. You ever taken your car in for an alignment? Talking about aligning our faith, aligning our lives with the Lord, aligning what we believe What aligning our actions with what we say we believe. So this is kind of a picture of, I I think you can see that pretty well. If your car is out of alignment, if one of your wheels is out of alignment, this is why it is if you're driving down the road and you let go of the steering wheel, what happens? Your car starts veering into either the other lane or veering into the ditch because one of your wheels is out of alignment. Another thing that's going to happen is that tire is going to wear down a lot faster because it's sitting here trying to pull your car over the other direction all that time like that tire that wears out if we don't align our lives with what we believe eventually our faith just gets weaker and weaker and wears out or if the problem is that that our faith controls most of our life but we got that one area that's out of alignment guess what when we relax it's going to keep pulling us off the road. Align your actions with what you say you believe. This is the difference between simple belief and convictions. Belief is just what we would answer on a test. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. Convictions are what you live by. Convictions are when your life is aligned with what you say you believe. We may need to wonder... If our life is just out of alignment with what we say we believe, we may need to wonder if, the, in the first place, if we have a saving faith. We may need to listen to those warnings of the New Testament against those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Saving faith is a sustaining, life changing faith. I appreciate what one writer says. Rahab knew very little spiritual truth, but she acted on what she did know, and that is why Hebrews 11 tells us, by faith, Rahab, pardon me, Rahab was saved. And like Rahab, if we say we believe something, our lives and our decisions should show it. Following Christ isn't just about facts like the Earth is round by living on it like because I know the earth is round I'm not afraid to fly to Asia or I'll move to Asia because I know people that that are there need Jesus or I'll walk across the street because I know my neighbor needs Jesus or maybe I'll share the gospel with my neighbors because I know that my neighbor needs Jesus. We know that Rahab went on to be elevated as an important part of the history of God's people. We see that here in, in Hebrews 11. We, we can see it in, Ma- in the uh, genealogies of Matthew and Luke. We can also be certain that she didn't just join Israel and keep her lifestyle. Okay, It's not like they said, we'll let you keep your tent outside of the camp, and we'll just kind of let you keep going. Uh, Israel figured out pretty quickly That's not helpful That's not good If you want to do a little study of a place called Baal Peor uh, You can see that But we won't won't, uh, slow down for it here Lastly I want to challenge you To align your lifestyle with your Lord Align your lifestyle with your Lord Rahab the prostitute did not perish With those who were disobedient The term perish here, uh, Jesus used this same term when he warned of the default judgment that everyone faces. In that familiar first, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. He describes the rest of everybody but Rahab and her family as those who were disobedient. Hebrews does. This term for disobedient means an unwillingness or a refusal to comply with the demands of an authority. I like what Dr. Weist says about this. It speaks of a disbelief manifesting itself in disobedience. The word here speaks of a failure on the part of the inhabitants of Jericho to be persuaded that God had given the land to the Israelites and the consequent refusal And their consequently refusal to surrender Jericho. They didn't believe that Israel was going to actually be able to take their city. So they were disobedient in surrendering it. Like Rahab, all Christians were saved from among the disobedient. As we're told in Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you. With empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Same term. I was uh, directed to uh, a kind of uh, interesting video um, by uh, Breakpoint this week with Dr. John Sto- Stone Street. And uh, it was interesting because it's a, it, the video is from a group called Lutheran Satire, which I know sounds hilarious. Um, but it was sock puppets. And one sock puppet was representing a worldly view of a specifically a very worldly feminist view. And another sock puppet was, puppet was representing a biblical view. And, and from one direction, uh, see if I can kind of give, keep you track of who's saying what here. Uh, the worldly view says, if a woman is promiscuous, she is condemned. But if a man is pers- promiscuous, he is praised. This double standard is wrong. The Christian says, I agree. That double standard is wrong. And that's why we should. And it, she, he's interrupted. That's why a woman should be praised for being promiscuous too. <laughs> says, oh, i got to say, that's uh, not where I thought you were going. I think that maybe we should remember 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 and Romans 1 and 13, that they apply to men and women equally. So, you know, maybe... Uh, we should do what the church does and encourage men and to also lead chaste and decent lives instead of doubling down on hedonism, right? So the conversation goes on. Pornography harms women. Oh, I totally agree. Pornography demeans women and it also corrupts men by making them think of women as nothing but sexual objects. And then the the uh, worldly feminist speaks in again, therefore women should empower themselves by taking control of the porn industry and producing their own sexually explicit material. This is the philosophy out there, folks. The Christian responds, yeah, again, uh, not a solution I had in mind. I was thinking something along the lines of let's decrease both the supply and the demand of pornography by urging men to treat women with honor and respect. As Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3 command." And by encouraging women to see the value in, the, in God in, in even feminine virtues, the value that God puts on them of internal beauty and a quiet and general, gentle spirit as opposed to flaunting their sexuality. Folks, I want to tell you, there are some crazy ideas out there that are just doubling down on the abuse of women. And man, I want to tell you, what we are seeing today, in my mind, is a replay of the garden where Adam is standing there with Eve and she's being told, you don't need to listen to what God has to say. And she's being convinced to sacrifice the most valuable parts of what God has given her to Satan. You see, God is seeking worshipers and Satan is seeking worshipers too. The Canaanites that that Israel was moving into, as with the people that they have seen prior to this, their worship was worshiping their idols, worshiping Satan with their sexuality. The way that we see it happening today. Many of them would sacrifice their own children to their idols, which they were sacrificing them to Satan, as we see many people doing today. This brings Satan a sick glory that we just can't imagine. We have a common statement today. I don't have any regrets. Those things made me what I am. We see our culture elevating prostitutes as Sex workers, I re- still remember hannah 's sociology, sociology professor she 's like texting us in class she 's like you haven't you will not believe what this guy is saying." The sociology professor was saying, "You know honestly, we should encourage and and be grateful for prostitutes because it keeps mar- marriages together you know it gives it gives men an outlet uh, that they that with no connections and it's better than them going out and having an affair. Doubling down on evil, doubling down on glorifying Satan by encouraging people to offer up to him and worship their most precious possessions. We hear women being encouraged to shout their abortion. If if you're you're probably seeing it on on social media and TikTok where women are basically saying, yeah, I could have killed my baby, but I chose not to. And then looking at the camera and saying, yeah, I said it, killed. It's my choice. It is insane. But men I want to tell you, we are still standing there with them. And it is us up to us to show leadership. Statistically, women sitting here, some of you even, I mean, statistically, some of you have had abortions. And I want you to know, like Rahab, there is no shame moving forward in obedience, in forgiveness, in redemption. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I love what one writer says: Rahab is remembered not for her har- harlotry, but her for her bravery, not for loving men, but for trusting God. She was blessed with a useful place in God's kingdom, not because she deserves it, but because God was faithful and extended grace to her. in the same way, we need to get past our past and stop telling ourselves that we don't deserve forgiveness. No one does. It is a gift. With our names on the tag. End quote. All of us are called to align our lifestyles with our Lord. Honestly, if your lifestyle isn't aligned with Christ, you need to wonder if He is your Lord, and you need to be concerned that He might say to you one day, "Depart from me, I never knew you." This is a good opportunity to just review real quick the last statement of our statement of faith. It's a statement on personal holiness. And I hope you hear the grace in this too. I hope you hear the understanding in it. We use this statement uh, not just as an encouragement for us, not just to let people know what we believe here as a body of believers, but we use this statement also for those that are in teaching roles or leading roles because this is a statement we want to hold them to, that they agree to says, so we believe that God's grace, which saves us, is also intended to steadily change us in personal holiness over the course of our lives. We believe that God's principles and clear commandments are meant to be followed literally by Christians. These are best summed up in the commands to love God and love others. We believe that we are called to pursue righteous actions, and it per, per, I took out the parentheses that kind of list those, and to resist temptation to sin. Recognizing that any specific sin could be a lifelong temptation and a struggle for any of us, we believe a lifestyle of intentionally practicing sin is not a condition in which we should live. And we use this sometimes to come along someone who's a teacher at Harvest or a, a leader at Harvest in any fo- fashion or form and say, Hey, this, you agreed to this. You agreed that we should not be intentionally living in a lifestyle of sin. Do you need any help in this area? That's what we use it for. To to be a basis for coaching one another in better following Christ. I just want to close again and the praise team is going to come up here. I asked Mike if they could sing that second song again this morning. Particularly, I love... To me, it resonates with the story of Rahab and the foundation that we should be living on. She trusted that rather than the quote unquote firm foundation of Jericho. Before I close, I want to read from a quote from Liz Curtis Higgs If God can turn a harlot into a holy vessel, entrusting her with the very genes that would one day produce the King of Kings, surely those of us with a past can leave our shame in the rubble and walk away, fixing our eyes on the one who washes us white as snow. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray that none of us would fall into the trap of self-righteousness. Of thinking that because we believe something or even because we do something or don't do something that somehow that's why we stand righteous before you. Lord, every single one of us, even if it's, even if all we ever did was to steal a piece of gum, it is a sin that would deserve our being cast away from your holy presence for all of eternity. Lord, most of us have done a whole lot more than that in our past lives and even struggle with worse today. Lord, we are grateful for your grace. We are grateful that you are our king. And Lord, we want to align our lives with you. We want to build our lives on your firm foundation, not what the world suggests that we build it on. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are ready to help us do so. And Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.